Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Uh, today on the program, we have Malcolm Bruce. He is the son of Jack Bruce from Cream, uh, a legendary rock band uh, from uh, many, many moons ago before I was born. Well, I had a chance to talk to Malcolm uh, about the, the tribute that he's been doing for his dad and, uh, and the album that they're putting to, uh, together. Uh, he started a tribute back in about 2016 and has had a bunch of people uh, who either are connected to Cream or uh, have a connection to Cream uh, participate in the different versions of, uh, uh, of, uh, of kind of show, paying tribute to this um, incredible rock band, right? And so they're about to put out an album called Heaven, Heavenly Cream, an acoustic tribute to Cream. Uh, and uh, that's coming out on November 3rd, so right, right around the corner. Uh, got a chance to listen to the album. I uh, really recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, and it kind of takes you back to that moment. Uh, I mean, not that I was alive then, really, so I can't really go back to there, but really it kind of uh, yeah, pay, really pays tribute to uh, to the great music of that era. And uh, and so that's going to come up in uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, really not a lot new going on in my world from, uh, you know, from last week that I can uh, think of for this open, uh, other than we are, uh, by the time this drops, less than a week away from opening duck hunting uh, weekend, which uh, is exciting for me. It's it's like a holiday for me because it's uh, something that I'm uh, really passionate about uh, and and get really excited about. Uh, I'm going to plan on hunt, uh, hunting um, the the place that I I do every opener usually, and uh, and what that entails is camping out uh, overnight, uh, just waiting in line, uh, hanging out uh, uh, for for the better, uh, better part of an afternoon or a day and uh, to get a good spot in line and try and get the best spot to hunt for, for opener. And, uh, and I think back to uh, hunting openers and kind of the experience that I've had with them, it's always a shit show. It's the busiest hunting day of the season because people are itching to get out. The birds are unaware that, uh, of what's coming. They have no idea. They've been hanging out at these refuges and they're just like, do, 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 do. we're doing our bird thing this is a cool spot you know lots of place to uh to eat and just hang out and and, and be cool and then uh, fucking opening day comes and it's lights out right uh birds are flying everywhere they're uh they're unsuspecting and and it's a lot of fun so it's great but there's a lot of people and a lot of competition to get good spots so you want a reservation somewhere if you can get one. Very hard to get one. Uh, it's very hard to get a reservation at a, a refuge on opening day, let alone opening weekend. And uh, and so I don't have an, a reservation for opening day. I'm going to be waiting in line uh, uh, to just get in after all of the reservations are processed and uh, and handled and uh, and go in with a couple of buddies of, uh, of mine right so that's that's the plan but i'm going to be the one camping out because i don't mind i look forward to it i'm going to be doing it by myself it'll be some time for me to just kind of clear my head and think about uh the birds and read a book and listen to some podcasts uh bake in the sun because i burn very easily so i need to figure figure out how to uh finagle some shade uh uh, between now and then, maybe I'll take a pop-up tent to uh, to shade myself, uh, bring some food, some drinks, yeah, you know, just enjoy the um, 
the afternoon and, and evening and try and get to sleep at a normal hour. Although uh, one ad additional component is that uh, the uh, one of my favorite bands, Something Corporate, is re reuniting uh, that evening of before opening day. Uh, they're playing a, uh, a sh their first show in many years. Uh, and I had a chance to talk to Andrew McMahon uh, and he let me in that there's a, a surprise very uh, pertinent to me uh, in their opener. Um, and uh, I kind of want to save that and put it, uh, put it in an episode spe uh, special to Andrew McMahon because I'm not, while I can't be at the something corporate shows in Vegas, they're playing as part of the, we are uh, when we were young festival. Um, I, uh, I'm going to be streaming the show, so I'm excited about uh, checking it out. Um, and even if I can't watch it the, uh, the night that it happens, I'll check it out in the, uh, the days that follow or the next morning when I wake up uh, way too early or what have you, right? Uh, so uh, so I'm going to be checking that out. But then I'll be seeing Andrew McMahon uh, like a week later because he's going to be uh, playing at the Fillmore in San Francisco. And that has, that show has so much personal connection for me and that venue has so much personal connection for me the band does it's it's going to be a really incredible show i'm hoping to be able to take my daughter to the show uh and then maybe i'll bring her on the podcast uh uh to to talk about it after that so uh we'll see but the opening duck hunting weekend excited um for uh for getting out and hunting both days uh, i'm gonna be hunting all weekend i'm gonna be fried by the end of it but so excited to uh, to really invest in my hobby, and uh, and I got a new shotgun, so I'm going to be getting uh, that out this weekend and uh, shooting some clays with some buddies to uh, to break it in, test it out, get comfortable with it, uh, and uh, and that'll be cool as well. So uh, so lots of really cool stuff coming up with, with my hobby, and I don't need to bore everybody too too much about it, but uh, I will I during uh, throughout the season. It's going to be great. Uh, so. Let's get into the uh, the bulk of our program. This is a, a group called Heavenly Cream. Uh, it is Malcolm Bruce, who I, uh, I'm interviewing with uh, Tad McDonald, um, uh, who uh, is Lear's uh, Peter Brown's stepson. Uh, and uh, and so I chatted with Malcolm Bruce. We had a really great conversation, and uh, I want to bring Malcolm on in now. Oh my God! You're we're there. We're both here. It's we're both here. It's amazing. How are you? I am doing I'm, well. Wearing sunglasses. I'm wearing protective eyewear, as we call it. Well, uh, they're very stylish, I'll say. So, you know, I, oh, I, I, well. I approve. <laughs> okay. I'll take them off for a second and I'm going to put them back on now. Okay. <laughs> How's it going, Steve? How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. How are you doing, Malcolm? I'm doing great, thanks. Yeah. How is it in uh, California? Oh, not... not not too bad. It's finally cooling down. It's been a hot summer, I tell you, you know, so not too crazy. Uh, but um, yeah, how, how are things in England right now? Yeah, good. Um, we've got, got you know, like uh, a late summer thing happening. So um, so it's still beautiful weather, but it's just that beginning of the kind of fall or autumn, as we call it. You know, so the autumnal, the, the colors are starting to change into, you know, the brown leaves falling and but it's still warm, you know, so, uh, so it's, so from that perspective, it's lovely. Nothing to complain about. For you, <laughs> no, right? so, yeah. Uh, 
Have you gotten out to uh, California a lot? I know you've done some touring in the, the States and you got some more you're going to do. We'll talk about that. But have you been out? Yeah. To oh, yes. I mean, I, I actually lived in San Francisco. You lived in San Francisco. Yes. For about a year um, in the late 90s. And uh, I lived in, in uh, L.A. at one point. I lived um, on um, like Sunset and Vine. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> I, could, I could walk to Rock and Roll Denny's. You know that kind of thing very rock and roll um so yeah i i mean i love la i've got lots of great friends there i love the vibe although it's i guess it's changed a lot over the years and you're not in los angeles you're yeah. so you're in napa which is yeah. north of north of los angeles right yeah I, I actually just left napa pretty recently but um I'm, okay. I'm not i'm not far outside of it but napa is a good good kind of waypoint for where i am i'm outside of sacramento area and that, that oh sort okay of thing, so but, yeah and napa is like the <laughs> wine country i guess it's known for its wine or yeah yeah, yeah. and it was always i mean i grew up there too and it was always this thing you know it's like okay well you just when you live there it's not as uh you don't appreciate it as much i wasn't a wine person i'm a i'm a beer drinker more than wine and you know so okay just i don't drink i don't drink at all i i'm a yoga guy so i don't partake of anything at all in fact well i do i drink coffee sometimes like right now but um oh no that's amazing um but i agree with you i mean i think um when we live when we're from somewhere we don't always appreciate like, I guess if you come over to London, you're going to kind of go, wow, the House of Parliament, it's incredible. <laughs> and I'm like, whatever, man. Those guys are a bunch of crazy, you know, corrupt people. You know, you're like, wow, it's the House of Parliament. Look, it's where the Queen lives, you know, all that stuff. And we're a bit more cynical about all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah your eyes are always wider to what you don't see every day. And, uh, you know, grass is always greener on the other side. And oh, all I think that. it's good. It's a... I think it's healthy to, um, you know, I think I've grown and learned so much by going to places that I'm not from and spending time away from where I'm from. And and I, I intend to do it again as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I like to kind of, t I like to talk to a lot of artists about kind of how they got their start and their, their parents' influence on their music. And for you, it's even kind of more so. I think obviously that's, that's absolutely going to drive it. I mean, you could tell me. <laughs> right? Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But so we, we're, we're going to get into your dad, but tell me a little bit about your mom and was she in, uh, an influence on, uh, on you at all musically? Like, did she have any of that, that bug? Oh, absolutely. And she's still around my mom. I still very have a very close relationship with my mom. Um, and yeah, I mean, she actually wrote two songs with Cream. So she wrote, co-wrote the very first song that they wrote called um, Sleepy Time Time. Uh, she gave, uh, she wrote some lyrics and gave them to my dad and he set them to music. It's a kind of blues, but it's a blues with a difference. Um, so, and then she wrote Sweet Wine with Ginger Baker. So, so she wrote two songs for Cream. She's written a few other songs along the way. She's not, wouldn't consider herself a songwriter, but she did. I mean, she in the, I guess it's a tradition, maybe it's a European tradition, but I'm sure it's a US tradition as well. Like when you're a kid, you learn a musical instrument. You tend to do that even if you don't become a musician. You know, it's a bit like doing sport at school. It, you would it gives you a foundation. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. So my mom sang and she played the piano. She learned the you know classical piano, um, and so I guess she loves music, you know. And um, 
So I was just around both my parents, but especially my mum. She would play all kinds of, you know, she'd play like Stevie Wonder, all kinds of things that she loved, Stevie Winwood. I remember she used to love this record called Ark of a Diver, which is a lovely uh, Steve Winwood record. But, you know, all, all this, all great music that she would just play, you know, whether it's Joni Mitchell or Stevie Wonder or um, all kinds of things. So, yeah, she was an influence, I think, but just it, also in that sense of just loving music and uh, having that openness and having that kind of spirit around me. So, yeah, she yeah. was. Did, did she meet your dad, Jack, through music? Like, is that how they kind of bonded? Yeah, in a sense. I mean, my mum was, um, so she was at a school in London called Camden School for Girls. And there were a bunch of them um, that ended up being involved with music in different ways. Uh, So she was in in that school with a a woman called Cleo Sylvestra, who is a well-known actress in the UK. but she also did a single. She became friends with the Rolling Stones before they were famous. Cleo did. And so she did a single called To Know Me, To Know You Is To Love You. To Know Me Is To Love You. I can't remember. Anyway, it was a single with Andrew Lugoldum producing it with the Stones as her backing band. And this was before the Stones hit it big. It's very early yeah. 60s. So she was really good friends with Brian Jones, but they'd all go over to her mum's house and have dinner with them. And then the other school friend that my mum was with was a somebody called um, Linda Keith. And Linda Keith ended up being Keith Richards' girlfriend and living was in New York when uh, the Stones went off on tour. And then she went to a club and she met Jimi Hendrix and had an, had a, an affair with... So Linda Keith had this kind of mm-hmm. affair with Jimi and then bumped into Chaz Chandler, the bass player from The Animals, mm-hmm. And Chaz was like, oh, man, you know, I've just come off the tour with the animals and I don't really want to do this touring thing anymore. I want to be a, a music producer and manager. And Linda goes, well, you should come down to this club and check out this guy that I've been seeing called Jimmy, you know. And so she was the person that introduced Chaz Chandler to Jimmy. And the rest is history. J- Chaz got sorted a passport out for Jimmy and took him to the UK and launched his career. Um, so that was just this, these few girls that were in this girls school in central London and all those and they used to go dancing in clubs they it was the I guess you call it the British R&B boom not what we think of as R&B now um Mm -hmm. and so all those early bands like Alexis Corner um were being were playing in these clubs like uh, the Ealing Club and the Marquee and all these early clubs in London early 60s and so I think the story is that my mum was dancing and listening to music in these clubs regularly as a teenager and she then sort of went out on a date with a piano player called Johnny Johnny something I can't remember and my dad was crashing at this guy's house on the sofa, as you do, be a poor struggling musician. And I think my mum went over to see, the, to see this guy, Johnny, and knocked on the door. And my dad opened the door and then they just sort of got talking and they just bonded, you know, and kind of fell in love. I think they might have met once before in the pub across the street from one of the clubs where they where they were hanging out. You know, so it was just a very innocent time. So, yes, to answer your question in a really long winded way. <laughs> I think um, it was about music that they that they met each other, you know, not because yeah. they were 
you know that my mum was a musician on the scene but she just loved music so she was out around the musicians of the of, of the time so. yeah and and did she teach you classical piano is that where you got that um she didn't teach me but i did have lessons from about the age of five um with a teacher and then again later on in secondary school in high school um I was having lessons and then I just have continued it since then. I went to music college for a while um, and studied composition. So I, I have this whole other side that I'm developing classical music and jazz and, and, but I love rock music too. So, and the blues and all music, all forms of music are good. Yes. <laughs> yes. Did you, did you protest it at all? Like, or is there a PC that pushed back on it? I know a lot of people like, like they, when they have to do it, uh, you know, and they're forced to do it, they, they kind of rebel and then they come back. Like you, you said, you I, came think back there was, I think there were, I think there were elements of that. Yes. I, I'm not sure I was the most studious student. And I think I've had to learn that, you know, now I'm just, that's all I do. You know, I do yeah. yoga, I do yoga, meditate and, uh, and practice the piano you know? <laughs> yeah. you know 12 hours a day of scales and then i hit myself with a stick if i don't do well enough no i'm kidding um no but i think yes i think there's a rebellious element there can be a rebellious element but that's very confusing for me because my dad was one of the sort of inventors and instigators of of the kind of rebellion within music in that sense you know they weren't the you know, my dad started off as a, jazz, a classical musician himself and then a jazz musician and then discovered the blues. And then as along with Ginger Baker, who was a jazz drummer, I mean, Eric's a different story because he was more of a blues purist, um, but but studied the blues, obviously. Um, but with my dad and Ginger, they kind of discovered the blues and then were criticized by the jazz establishment for not, you know, staying loyal to the tradition of jazz but then at that time in the early 60s as we're looking back at it we know that everything was shifting and changing at that point you know um yeah. music was changing i suppose in the previous generation in the 50s it was dance music as it was called then um and show tunes and all of that kind of stuff and swing before that and then suddenly rock and roll appeared and all those bands and musicians that were working in a particular genre suddenly they couldn't get a, a, a gig you know because bill haley and elvis and everybody had sort of taken over a, a new wave of something and so i guess at least for a long period of time that seems to be the way it headed i guess now we're going gonna be confronted with a similar thing with artificial intelligence i guess so we're now going to be like okay where do we go from here i just spent 500 years practicing scales uh, and learning about harmony and learning how to write music. And now the AI is just going to do write an infinite amount of songs uh, effortlessly in one nanosecond. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to yeah. see what happens with all of that. You know, yeah, what, is, like, what is the value of that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Do we even need that skill anymore? I mean, and it's obviously a, a kind of a conversation of, you know, the art versus the machine, the machine, right? And, uh, and well, and also, you know, the soul of an artist, or you know, what this—it's a spiritual, it's a spiritual question in the sense of what what is a human being, you know, um, and what are the depths of of a human being, the layers, and at the heart of the physiology, at the heart it is a quantum level of a reality where all create, create, 
creativity is bubbling up from. And I think all spiritual traditions, whether religions or otherwise, they're all pointing to that thing of like, okay, when we settle the mind and go deep inside of ourselves, we go to God or we go to the intuition, or we go to that higher self. And that's the basis of all creativity. I suppose people access it using drugs, which is not a good idea, in my opinion. But, but, um, but that, whatever, however, that comes through, that sense of being a human being and and the the desire to express something creatively, like can AI? I suppose AI is also an extension of humanity. But it's we're so, we're at the inception of something. We don't really fully understand where it's going to head. So. So I don't know. I so suppose 50, 60 years ago, it was like, wait a minute, that's not music. You know, well, you can't do that. You know, that. and so I suppose like we're all, I'm now saying like, you can't, AI can't. There's no way AI can do it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I guess we don't know. So, um, no, we don't. But I think a lot of us are worried about, you know, also AI taking our jobs and, you know, and our livelihoods, right? I mean, like, what do you, what do, you do with that? How do you, how much do you invest into what at this point is a you know train rolling along and you can't control it right well it, it, and, and it's just it brings up questions on every level of being every level of functioning you know economics you know to come maybe we you know and a lot of people think let's have a universal basic income there's you know let's restructure economics as a concept or from a fundamental level why are we in we're in a capitalist society so we compete we have an an open a free market economy you know but none of that's sustainable if there's no jobs you know if suddenly you're free to do whatever you want because it's all automated and we could have a world like that wouldn't it be it's almost like a, a sort of pure socialism where you like what are you going to spend your time doing okay i'm going to learn sanskrit you know and i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna you know uh like jet ski and but i don't need to own a jet ski because everything's free you know everything is accessible because we don't live within a competitive economy anymore where there are winners and losers and none of us question any of that we just go along with it oh i can't do that because i don't have enough money but on an, an but i'm not anti-capitalist either like so I, so I think these questions that come up, we need to explore them without necessarily thinking we have the answer. But I think it is like, wh where will things head in the future with, with everything becoming automated and uh, you don't need people in factories anymore. You don't need people doing this job or that job because it's all done for you. So what are you going to spend your time doing? You know? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, there you go. Deep, the deep, the deep conversation. <laughs> oh my know, God, right? it's like, so deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, cream a little bit. What do you remember of that that time period uh, when your dad was, you know, a part of this revolutionary band? I mean, one of uh, one of the. Well, I wasn't born. I wasn't actually born yet. So. So, so you I remember don't... nothing? Okay, got it. I remember uh... <laughs> like pretty much nothing, but but I was born after that, and so I do remember, you know, uh, the legacy of it, and I remember um all kinds of things you know I, I was around my dad and we used to play music together and um but cream is a wonderful thing it's a unique uh it's a unique band in the pantheon of rock music popular music you know it's the improvisational element the songwriting the musicianship um i suppose that's why they call themselves the cream like the cream of the crop you know it's a yeah. slightly arrogant thing to say but i think at that time it made sense because they were uh they were seen as like the at the pinnacle 
of musicianship in the sort of London scene. Um, so yeah, I think there's just still, again, there's so much to be gained from that music. Uh, I I love it, you know, I love the um, creativity within it. You know, every time I've performed Cream's music, it's the improvisational element that takes over, you know, it's you never play it the same way twice, or at least I never play it the same way twice. <laughs> Yeah. Do you remember becoming aware that yeah that your dad is part is part of something really special? You know, I mean, and kind of its impact in history. Like, I mean, obviously your your brain is forming. You know, and you're just I mean, you don't know until I'm sure when you're like a, a teenager, maybe even slurs, uh, uh, shortly before that, right? It started to become evident. Yeah, I mean, I have early memories. Like my dad, um, I have early memories of going to my dad's gigs and seeing him on stage in front of a lot of people and things like that so so yes I mean it was it became just a normal natural thing for me to understand that um and it so I don't know I mean it's we know what we know right and I think mm -hmm. I I feel very lucky somehow I've stayed humble about that whole thing because he was also in his own way quite humble about it you know he was a musician first and he the creative process was what was important to him. But then I guess you get caught up in, people can get caught up in the fame and all of that. And that creates a whole other layer to to that process and the expectation, the in, internal expectation of how to be treated and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, it can be really confusing, but I think I did all right. I think I'm okay. Uh, you know, a couple of years of therapy helped. And um <laughs> it does no but i you know there were lots of memories i mean from you know seeing my dad do more jazz oriented things with john mclaughlin and billy cobham um to you know uh his his bands with gary moore blues guitarist gary moore and all kinds of people um and growing up just being around music um and the, and that just that joy of music that the pure joy of creating music whether it was commercially for record labels or whether it was just at home um, playing and or listening or talking or whatever. So it was just, it was definitely a large part of what bonded me and my dad in terms of our relationship. Yeah. Did you ever have interactions with Clap Clapton or? Um, I wouldn't say that I know Clapton, uh, Eric, well at all, but the few times that I've spoken with him, um, and being with him, he's always been really nice. And, um, you know, I have a, loads of respect for him as a musician. And he's incredible. Like, he's still, you know, he's just obviously near to where you are right now. He just put on the Crossroads Festival. Um, mm. It's great that he's still out there doing it. And he's playing great and playing with great musicians. And, um, and yeah, and actually we did Pete Brown, the, the lyricist, create much of Korean's music he just passed away but we did manage to finish his new his last solo record and Eric is appearing on one of the songs for that so that's a whole other uh project that will come out next year I think um called uh the Shabby Club so and, and Eric guests on a, a song on that which is really nice so yeah Eric's great um but I wouldn't claim like he's my best mate but uh no no he's always been really nice and um yeah that's cool. That's cool. 
And so um, from what I can tell, like these tributes, you, you did a 50th anniversary tour of uh, Fresh Cream last November. Uh, but I mean, even before that, you, I mean, uh, I think this dates back to like 2016, where the tribute kind of started. And uh, even like Mick Taylor was uh, was a part of it. There's so many people yes. that were involved in kind of this this tribute. Tell, tell me kind of where this all, idea all began for you. Yeah, so um, an agent that I've worked with quite a lot in the UK, Don Mackay, he, he came forward um, the beginning of 2016 and suggested we put a, a concert together for my dad who my dad passed at the end of 2014 um, so we spent a lot of 2016 putting together a concert um, that ended up at O2 Shepherd's Bush Empire which is an iconic theatre venue in London um, and yes we just me and Pete Brown basically curated it I guess you could say um, and so we just reached out to pretty much every artist that my dad had ever worked with. And Mick Taylor had been in uh, one of my dad's bands, the Jack Jack Bruce and Friends, I think it was called in the mid 70s or early to mid 70s. They'd, and I think Mick uh, uh, directly after leaving the Rolling Stones and doing Exile on Main Street, he joined my dad's band for a period of time. So they were friends and loved each other and so yeah Mick came over we had Lulu uh singing I don't know how well Lulu is known in the U.S. but I'm sure she must be hopefully um and um we had my friend Dennis Chambers on drums uh Dennis is like the best drummer on the planet or one of and then Gary Husband the other best drummer on the planet who uh so we had those kind of guys we had Terry Reed um the list goes on. Uh, Paul Young, for any of you 80s pops, pop connoisseurs, um, Paul Young came. Yeah, it was so nice to have him there. Um, and then just a lot of the guys, you know, people like Clem Clemson from Humble Pie, who had worked with my dad a lot. Uh, Ronnie Leahy, who was in a band called Stone the Crows. Uh, Maggie Riley. Um, all kinds of people turned up. It was great. And... Uh, so yes, we kind of started that process in 2016. And then um, then I did around 100 shows with uh, Ginger's... Oh, and Ginger Baker turned up to that thing in 2016 as well. So then Ginger's son, Kofi Baker, and me, we did this tour um, for around 100 shows. We did New Zealand, Australia, the UK, and the US. Uh, we sort of did nice, nice theatre tours um and it was great you know there's still a lot of people that love that music and came out to see it yeah i mean that's that's such an amazing experience to, i mean to be able to kind of to provide this experience for so many people you know who cherish that music and uh, and kind of embody it and those sort of concerts are like it feels like a once in a lifetime sort of thing right where you get all these people that really love uh, an artist and can just embody it, right? I mean, my favorite concert ever was a Bowie celebration that happened actually in 2016, also uh, uh, here in oh, San Francisco. Cool. And Gary Oldman was like leading it, but there were so many amazing artists that were but connected. Gary Oldman, the actor, the actor. Guy. The actor, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. It, oh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. So I interviewed him and I just got to interview all these artists. Oh, that's that were, so cool. You know, well, he just, did a. Uh, a Scottish friend of mine called John Morrison was in uh, Gary directed a movie called Nil by Mouth. Have you ever seen that movie? It's anyway, it's set, I, I don't think I did. Yeah, it's like uh, I don't know how much Gary's directed, but anyway, he 
it's a kind of uh almost like a sort of gangsterish south london because i think gary grew up in quite a rough neighborhood in south london um anyway check it out nil by mouth but a friend of mine john morrison was in that movie um but yes david bowie you sure i i'm playing the glass bead game here con all connecting with dots but david um used to play my dad's song i feel free and he there's a long history of <sighs> playing that so he would play that live back in the early 70s he would be playing that and then he did a version and it's a kind of strange it's like i'm not and it's not my favorite version but my favorite version of bowie doing it was when he would play it live um but he did a version on uh black tie white noise that move that album i think um of i feel free mm -hmm. so um so yeah david's another amazing artist you know incredible yeah 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 one of those like, like i wish i'd have the chance to ever see live you know there were limited opportunities uh, and during my, well, during my soon, soon they'll be having hologram shows everywhere like uh as the ronnie ronnie james dio show that i saw a little bit on youtube once and it looked incredible i mean it was like he was standing on the stage it was incredible so and the abba one that they're doing now which is apparently amazing so yeah maybe that. they'll have a david bowie i've heard about that i at least got to see dio live opening for moto motorhead and iron maiden and uh so i had that wow. that that, oppor that opportunity so i know i know before he died so you know i hung out with lemmy a couple <laughs> of times uh when i was a kid that was interesting <laughs> oh, I mean, I, interesting! It's a good, I'm sure, a good word for it, right? No, it was actually quite I innocent. Don't I mean, much of it, but no, no. I mean, it was really, it was actually really innocent, and he was a really, really sweet, lovely guy. You know, yes, he liked the odd drink, you know, um, but um, no, I wasn't, I didn't partake of anything like that. And he was just really a really nice, genuine person. The couple of times I hung out with him, so yeah. <laughs> honestly, yeah, I've heard, honestly, I've heard good things. I don't... <laughs> that's that's really cool. Uh, and so so let's talk about the album a little bit, right? Uh, Heavenly Cream, an acoustic tribute to Cream. Um, so uh, again, a number of artists that are uh, that are a part of this. Um, I mean, the, I mean, men really bring a lot of flavor to these uh, songs, and something different for uh, for each of them. But um, I mean, there's there's so many to to, to list off. Uh, Deborah Bonham, uh, she's really cool. I, I got to interview yes. her last oh, great. year or something too. Yeah, she's, she, she's really yeah. great. But uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I was I've working with her. I great. I mean, I I've known Debbie a little bit. I did a, I was the little support act on a on Andy Fraser tour in the UK, and Andy passed away obviously, but Andy was um, in the band Free. And uh, he co-wrote All Right Now, which has sort of become with, you know, Paul Rogers. So it's kind of become this iconic song that that is still iconic in the US, I guess. Um, and so I met her. That was, I think, the first time I met her at a show um, because of her connection with Andy and um, that scene. Um, and yeah, she's just great. I mean, and we share that little thing, I guess, that uh with a relative of somebody more famous <laughs> it's like get out the way i'm not just the she's like i'm not just the sister of john bonham and we you know she's also amazing in her own right you know but it's that funny thing the industry you know and then you have to embrace it of course because we love you know i'm sure she loves her brother and i love my dad and so uh so we share there's a little bit of something we share in that regard 
but yes it was great she her and her partner peter bullock uh came and played guitar as well so so she was great great to have her involved yeah um sunshine on your of your love was one of the first singles of the album and you play piano on that and uh, yeah that's it, just come out um that's um joe bonamassa singing and playing guitar bernie marsden um ginger baker on drums abbas dodu on percussion who's a friend of mine great guy and um and uh neil murray on bass from white snake so yeah interesting combination yeah, <laughs> i know right so so this was recorded in two different places but i'm you know i'm really interested in uh, uh abbey road of course and so tell me I mean, you. How much time did you spend there? What was that like uh, recording there? Uh, tell me about that experience. Yeah, so um, probably a span of a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, like that kind. Of, I can't remember exactly because it's been a few years. But, but you know, Abbey Road is the ultimate studio. You know, it's the museum of sound, something like that. Yeah. You know, it's just got a vibe. You go in there and it makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And you think, and you're sitting there playing. They have these two um, upright pianos called they're called Challen pianos, and they have they maintain them. They're from, and they have this other one that's called Mrs. Mills. And these are all the pianos that were used on the Beatles records, used on you know Pink Floyd records, and so you so it's the sound you actually have the sound those sounds are still there and they're physical. They're not just samples and, and all of that. They're actually somehow they've kind of maintained all these instruments um, and just the sound of those rooms, you know, the, the studio two has that sound, you know? Um, so it's just always a joy. The few times I've had the opportunity to record in Abbey road, it's just wonderful. Um, it's, it is a great place. Uh, I hope it keeps going indefinitely, you know, for that reason, it's, it's um, it's so much part of the fabric of popular music. And then going further back, the, and still now, you know, the big room, Studio One, is where a lot of the uh, Hollywood movie scores are, are recorded. Um, so, yes, there's a lot of history there, so much history there. It's incredible. Uh, so that was really enjoyable. Yeah, but I think it was over maybe like you know 10 days 14 days something like that and we you know we because of the nature of something like this you know you have to see who you can get who wants to do it in terms of special guests and then you have to see when they're available do they live in where do they live you know do we need to fly them in what or are they going to be you know with the case with Joe Bonamassa he he was I believe he was on tour in the UK at the time so then we coordinated him his availability on a day off with uh, Ginger Baker coming in. And because, you know, it was important for, you know, that we wanted those two guys together um, for that particular session. So yeah, a little bit of coordinating. And so it was kind of stretched out over a period of months, um, but we worked pretty quick. I mean, it, I think with Abbey Road again, and with Rob Cass, the producer, you know, we had a particular ethic. We didn't painstakingly go over, you know, some records take years. Some records can take months and months and months. and um, But with this, it was pretty much like we all knew what we were going to do. We did a lot of arranging beforehand. We'd go in and set up and rehearse a few times and then do two, three, four takes and we were done. Uh, and then with overdubs afterwards. So, um, so yeah, it was 
I, I mean, I, I've recorded in a lot of great studios, but Abbey Road has a special flavor to it, for sure. For sure, for sure. And and you mentioned Ginger Baker. I mean, this is Ginger Baker's last uh, recordings. So, like, what was that experience like? Wow. I mean, Ginger, you know, there won't be another person like Ginger coming along anytime soon. You know, he's an amazing guy. And, um, and yeah, he came, you know, he came in on two separate days um, to record for the record. And, you know, he played so beautifully, you know, I think it was lovely. And, you know, his, obviously he was going through health problems towards the end of his life. Um, but he really wanted to do it. You know, he, he really came in and with his drum tech and Andy and, and his friend, you know, Abbas Dodu, who I mentioned before, is a Ghanaian percussionist, master drummer. Um, and he'd been working with Ginger's jazz band, essentially, uh, for over 10 years. So, you know, he came in, Pee Wee Ellis came in, who is, uh, was, Pee Wee's passed on now, but Pee Wee was a sax player for James Brown. Uh, for any musician types out there, they'll know The Chicken, which is a kind of famous sort of a funky jazz instrumental and I think um Pee Wee wrote that and so you know we got we Ginger came in and we had some people around him that he loved and trusted and that had been working with him so I think he felt really comfortable with that um and it was great you know I can't complain it was a wonderful experience to be able to you know obviously I'd known Ginger over the years because of my dad and spent time with him here and there um, but it was really nice to to have that last little bit of time with him uh, and to to record. It was great. I'm really glad it happened. Sure. Um, and you're planning a tour of the U.S. Uh, for next year? Is that right? Um, for my own stuff, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure with this. Oh, project. okay. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going to happen with this project. I I think the label are, are sort of looking at it, but because. The nature of something like this with all these different people it's quite hard to get people together they might do a they might do a sort of one-off type show or something i hope they consider it but but regardless i've got a new record coming out next year um fake humans and real dolls that's right yeah um and you can kind of figure out what that means <laughs> <laughs> you can make whatever you want it to figure it out <laughs> yes. um yes yeah, it's like AI. I'm looking. Yeah. I'm just trying to like look at what's going on in the planet a little bit at the moment, with everything from conspiracy theories to um, AI to you know uh, what it means to being a, a human, or do we are we going to have humans? Are we going to have transhumans or posthumans or some kind of weird amalgamation of uh, maybe we'll have Elon Elon Musk will drill something into our skulls you know and make us superhumans i don't know i guess we're gonna find out. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out we'll find out and uh, yeah. and so this this, uh, this album uh, was, were you ready to like roll it out in like 2021 um and covid just threw everything off or kind of what's the process been for the past couple with, of years because then it's been around for a bit with heavenly cream um yeah i think it was a combination of things. So there's also a um, there's a making of documentary that's coming out at around the same time as the album. The album's coming out November third, I believe. Um, and so we were working with the director Mark Waters, who 
was very close with Pete Brown that he brought in to make this documentary. So I think combination of that taking a while to come together with interviews and um, editing and then the, the the record itself coming together and then the mixing process and everything. So we were looking, I think we were going to be looking at a 2020 release and then the pandemic hit and uh, everyone's lives changed and everything got sort of moved around so I think it feels like the right time you know uh the label have kind of been patient and waited and I think they've I think they've chosen the right time I think it's it feels like the right time to me um for it to come out but yeah it's been a few years in the making for sure yeah um that's cool I, I saw a picture of you with Zach Wilde uh tell, tell me about uh meeting okay. him well, it was actually, I've only ever met him once. And that was, I was, I had a band with um, Leslie West and Corky Lang in, I think that was 2009 or 2010. Um, and I was over on the East Coast. Um, I was going between the East Coast and Nashville. Um, and um, so, yeah, we did a bunch of, a bunch of shows around that time. And Zach was friends with Leslie and uh, turned up and we hung out backstage one evening and he's a lovely guy you know a really nice person and um and we had fun yeah so I think we just kind of did a little posy photo together <laughs> uh, but yeah he's a great guy and obviously an awesome musician awesome guitar player um and uh be nice to hang out with him again at some point you know I'm sure our paths will cross uh, maybe uh, one again but great guy and uh obviously uh pretty good at that old guitar stuff uh, yeah, yeah. I, I we interviewed him a couple of times. I mean, like for shows I did like twenty years ago or something. I haven't talked to him in a couple of decades at this point. But wow, um, but you can't be. You don't look it. old enough, man. Come on. <laughs> you're like you're well, like. Thank you. you. I appreciate it. You're cryogenically frozen, uh, like in internally, like, something good. You know, maybe it's all uh, that California weather or something. It's something in the water, I don't know, but uh, yeah, what water we have left. But, <laughs> but I'm just uh, planning. The thing is, yeah, I'm planning. I do yoga. I'm just planning to like live forever, you know. So I study all the, yeah. the Vedic stuff in in India and and follow all those guys that live to like 300. They live up in the forest and mm -hmm. and eat berries and meditate all day and and uh, you know they're still they're still there now, you know. <laughs> so, still there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. Well, Zach was awesome though. He's just such a cool dude, like you said. So uh, yeah, he's a great I, I guy. Yeah, getting to chat with him a couple of times. Yeah, larger than life guy, yeah. but, but really humble and and um, and honest and present. I really liked him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the album's coming out next month, uh, so I know we're really excited about that. Anything else you're working on right now that uh, that we want to get out there? Um, as I say, just I am. You know, look out for my own solo record, Fake Humans and Real Dolls, and I'll be on the road next year. I'm going to take my time with it. I'm working with some agents, so I'm looking at September, October, November, December to tour, probably start with a UK tour, then go across to Europe, then come across to the States um, and just kind of start making progress with that. And I think I'll be releasing some singles leading up to the touring and the album, et cetera. Um, strategizing as we say in the business <laughs> you know yes. it's a funny time isn't it it's like a weird time in the creative industries it's like the freest time oh, the yeah. most in some ways the most creative time and in other ways like because of 
economics we don't really know where anything's heading and um it's it feels like taylor swift is the only person that's able to make any money or i don't even know i mean she's great no one no one but she's kind of got it all like cornered you know so uh you you said it like i i mean i have the same thought and i've said it before also like when one artist has all 10 spots on the uh on the top 10 good for them but but something's not right in the music industry. There's like the little guy is not getting a chance. Well, yeah, right, and it's so. just, but I think it's just, you know, the, the way that AI has taken over, the way that, you know, um, did social media, digital aspects of how you sell something. And so the strategies behind that and, and you know, money, if you've got a lot of money to invest in exposure, then it becomes difficult. And, it and you know, the, the problem is that, Maybe in previous eras, art was about art, you know, it, the creative, the creative act. And now it's something slightly different. That's there, but this, but it's secondary to personality. It's secondary to branding. You know, branding is everything. And so it's a weird game now. Like if you're an actual artist, if you're actually, you know, inside your the creative process, the mechanics of a creative process and actually have something that you want to say that you desire to say that's not just the repetition of something that's already been said then that's the challenge how do you get that out there in this sea of infinite genericism you know to put it bluntly so yeah. it's it, but having said that there's some great stuff going on so i think we just have to believe that we can make it happen and just keep at it and just see hope that other people go wait a minute this is interesting this isn't this is something different this is something you know maybe something with something valid to say i guess well i guess i'm going to find out next year when i release my record well people it'll be like this uh, be like the romans you know mm, which way is it going to you know <laughs> that's what they should have on social yeah. media they should have like yeah. they've only got they've got yeah. the thumb up but i'm not sure they've got look at this yeah yeah, I don't know whether they've got. No, uh, I think YouTube they do, but it's hidden. You don't get to see see it or something. I think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We want to. We got up. We wouldn't want to hurt everybody anybody's gets, feelings anymore. No. Everybody gets hurt. a participation trophy, and you know, like yeah, that's where yeah. we're at, right? So. Yeah. No, we don't need any. You know, just don't hurt anybody. Don't upset anybody. You know. <laughs> no, no. Well. Well, you're doing all the things, Malcolm. It's really, really awesome. Like, you get to celebrate your dad. You get to do your own uh, own thing as well and uh, continue making music. And that's that's really great. And uh, I hope we see you on the uh, West Coast here uh, next year as well. So, Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having the chat. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. That was my interview with Malcolm Bruce of Heavenly Cream. Uh, and that takes us to the final segment on the program, the music news. <laughs> Okay, we got some stories. Uh, uh, I talked last week about Power Trip Festival. Uh, I barely scratched the surface that other than its existence, that it happened. Uh, I want to talk a lot about that in the music news now. I didn't have a chance to go to it, but I want to live vicariously through uh, the bands that played there. Uh, before we do that, I have to... I have to cover the Taylor Swift news. I, I don't want to, but I have to. My kids are actually at the 
a screening of the Eras tour right now um, and having that experience with their mom and my sister and uh, I think one of my daughter's friends and probably having a great time at it. Uh, it's not for me, but the, the tour itself um, is projected to raise a total of $5.7 billion, which would be enough to send everybody in the U.S. $20. Uh, so uh, it, it kicked off in March and it's set to run into late 2024. It's not ending anytime soon. And, uh, and so the estimate, which is cited by the Washington Post, uh, uh, comes, let's see here, it suggests that Swiss income from the tour would be larger than the annual GDP of 42 countries in the world. That's, uh, that's a lot. She's doing something right, apparently, for herself. And, uh, you know, and I, while I'm not a fan, I can think of worse influences for my, my kids. So I gotta, gotta take it for what it is. Uh, I was also watching the making of uh, a song, Getaway Car, a video that she did with uh, Jack Antonoff where they actually caught the lightning in a bottle of it happening of that song. And uh, Jack Antonoff, I am a fan of uh, uh, from his band Bleachers and from Fun, from Steel Train. He's, I'm, I'm a fan of his music and, uh, and he's a big part of making Taylor Swift's music happen and a big fan of her. So, okay, that's all the Taylor Swift news. I got to move on to some other stuff, right? Uh, have other headlines. Uh, Reba McIntyre says Dolly Parton can only be contacted via fax, uh, at least by Reba McIntyre. Maybe she didn't want Dolly Parton, uh, maybe she didn't want Reba to have her, uh, her phone number, but Reba conferred with, uh, with, uh, one of the other, uh, classic musicians, Kenny Rogers, uh, asking, do you have Dolly's number? He said, no, uh, maybe that's, yeah, he said that because he didn't want to give it to me. I don't know. Apparently, she can't get Dolly Parton's number. Uh, I find it hard to believe that Dolly Parton is only reachable via fax. So, but maybe that's the case. Okay. Uh, Oasis has shared a new Listen Up video as Nation, National Album Day celebrates the 90s. The video, which will be available for 24 hours, accompanies new research that found two thirds of 1990s number one albums were made by non London acts. Uh, and uh, so this, this happens actually today as of the recording of this, uh, podcast, October 14th. So it's in the past, uh, by the time this drops, um, Oasis achieved the first and second most streamed albums of the decade with what's the story morning glory, uh, and taking first place and definitely maybe, uh, coming in second. Uh, so they, they released a lyric video for listen up. And again, it's only up for 24 hours. So if you wanted to see that, you missed your chance. Uh, Noel Gallagher said, I'm thrilled, but I wouldn't say that I was surprised that What's the Story Morning Glory has been voted the most streamed album of the 90s. I still do have my faith in the taste of people in this country. I mean, if you've got Wonderwall and Don't Look Back in Anger on an album, you're going to be all right, aren't you? Uh, it was one of my top albums of the 90s, uh, really. That I lived that album it was very much a part of my youth uh and uh and it, i listened to that cassette tape front and back front and back front and back uh all the time when i was in seventh grade so that's exciting green day is reopening their reverb shop uh to sell old touring and studio guitars it's uh set to open on october 18th uh so you can get uh they're selling almost 100 bits of used gear from their career and uh, you can um, check out what's available online. 
a handful of Billy Joe Armstrong's guitars that he played on, on tour in the studio and in music videos will be up for grabs, as well as a cabinet that was used uh, over 10 years ago while the band were creating their album trilogy, Uno Dos Tre. Don't think many people care about that. Uh, not the best albums. It was during a difficult time in Billy Joe's life and the music wasn't very great. So uh, uh, that's what's going on in Green Day in land. Okay, so let's talk about Power Trip Festival. This is the iconic heavy rock metal uh, festival that took place in uh, down in Indio last weekend. Uh, and uh, and I know someone who was there. I need to talk to them and see how that, how that was from their perspective. But from what I'm reading, it's it was brutal heat wise uh upward up to 100 degrees uh at the hottest points and didn't really cool down at night but the music was legit right so day one and this is one of those festivals by the way a unique festival where it didn't have uh, 80 other bands supporting the the main stage bands this was just heavy bands big bands uh, classic bands that you won't see in other places in the, in some cases uh playing full sets of uh, music so day one was guns and roses and iron maiden so let's talk about the, their set list first iron maiden played a 15 song set uh and there's one song that i can see that's missing from their set list so i'm not going to talk a lot about iron maiden because i'm not stoked i would have insisted on seeing number of the beast and i don't see that in the set list so that's a bummer it, but they played a, a bunch of other songs. The Trooper came up in their encore. Uh, Fear of the Dark, that's a great one. Iron Maiden, uh, they played uh, uh, played a bunch of songs, right? So uh, I'm sure it would have been cool, but not, you're not gonna play Number of the Beast? What are we talking about here, Iron Maiden? Not okay. Okay, uh, Guns N' Roses uh, then went on to play a 29 song set a full-on set by Guns N' Roses. So to say that they're back and kicking ass is, I mean, is not an understatement, right? Uh, they did a Velvet Revolver cover for Slash, uh, Slither. Uh, they uh, played, of course, played Welcome to the Jungle in their set. They played Double Talk and Jive, uh, uh, Live and Let Die, the Wings cover that they do. They, uh, they did uh, uh, TVI, the Sto Stooges cover. That, uh, slash, of course, had a guitar solo before playing Sweet Child of Mine, November Rain, my favorite Guns N' Roses song. It's amazing. Uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door, which they made more famous than Bob Dylan ever, ever did, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Closed the normal part and then closed their set with Paradise City. Didn't look like they have an, uh, had an encore, just uh, a full-on continuation set, 29 songs. Uh, pretty incredible experience. Night, night two uh, comes around, uh, and that that's ACDC and Judas Priest. ACDC playing their first show in uh, in freaking years. Uh, it's pretty incredible. Um, and uh, and so the Judas Priest, uh, I imagine, played first. They had a uh, an eighteen song set, uh, and they let's see, they did a uh, John Bay's cover, Diamonds and Rust. Uh, and they did a Fleetwood Mac cover, the green uh, Manolishi. Uh, you've got another thing coming. Uh, they did Hellbed for Leather, uh, Breaking the Law, uh, the, uh, li and Living at Close with Living After Midnight before ACDC uh, came on and uh, probably tore the roof off this pla uh, place that has no roof. Uh, and 
they played everything, right? Thunderstruck, Hell's Bells, Shot in the Dark. That was their uh, live de- debut. Uh, Stiff Upper Lip, the first time since 2003. Dirty Deeds Dunder Cheap. Yes, Shoot to Thrill, Giving the Dog a Bone. Shook me all night long. Oh my gosh, Doggy Dog, the first time since uh, with Brian since 2009. Um, Highway to Hell, Hold On Loving, Let There Be Rock uh, with an Angus Young guitar solo. And then an encore of TNT. And then for those about to rock, we salute you. My God, what would have been amazing to see that live. Uh, I wish I'd gotten to see ACDC live sometime in this lifetime and regret that I haven't because I had tickets to see them once, I don't know, 14 years ago. Uh, and I sold them because uh, it, uh, it was just too pricey. Uh, I couldn't afford it really at the time. And uh, and kind of gave it up. So I wanted to be there, but but it uh, chose the money over the the tickets. But and then the show, the the festival closed out on the third night with Tool and Metallica. Uh, Tool played only a twelve song set, uh, so nothing too crazy. Um, and then Metallica closed out the evening uh, and played a sixteen song set. Uh, I guess everybody had to get home, so uh, 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 so they're like, okay. Uh, they they didn't play too too long, um, and let's see they played of course played Enter Sandman, uh, they played Fuel, Fade to Black, Nothing Else Matters, Sad but True, Seek and Destroy One, and then close with Master of Puppets. So uh, it's one of those festivals I, I wish I could have been at. Right, like you can't go to everything, and but that would have been an awesome experience to be at the Power Trip Festival. Uh, so exciting times. Um, I'm going to close out with one other story uh, that is not Power Trip related, and that is Danny Elfman is going to be back at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas with a live-to-film concert event October 27th to 29th. Uh, He just announced he'll be joined by some special guests, including uh, singer-songwriter Halsey and Catherine O'Hara sharing the role of Sally and Ken Page, resuming his part as Oogie Boogie, uh, uh, Fred Armisen is going to be there as uh, performing as well. He's taking the parts that normally would be uh, played by uh, Paul Rubens, and uh, and there's some other uh, special ca- uh, guests uh, performing. Also, lots of lots of folks taking place. I think Fred or uh, Greg Proops is uh, going to be in it in, involved as well. So lots of artists for Nightmare uh, Before Christmas. All right, that is our show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, next week on the program, we have the Dandy Warhols. Uh, I had a chance to talk to the lead singer of Dandy Warhols, Courtney Taylor Taylor, uh, and we had a great long chat. And uh, and then, you know, the night of, of this recording, I'm going to see them at the Fillmore and going to have to get a Fillmore Apple. Uh, they better not have stopped doing those uh, b- uh, because of COVID, because that is such a part of the uh, ambiance and the environment of the of those shows is taking a bite into a Fillmore apple and tasting some of that magic. So I'm expecting there could be a, uh, a Fillmore apple in my future tonight. Um, all right. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, I'm Steve Jones. We'll catch you next time.